What a moment this is, JR. I'm nervous. I got, I got butterflies the size of eagles in my stomach. Thank you very much for that warm Penn State reception. Since I, Vince McMahon, defeated Ric Flair in the coin toss, it is my distinction to choose the very first individual, the first individual in the history of the World Wrestling Federation to be drafted. The number one pick oh comes to me, Vince McMahon. So on behalf of WWF SmackDown, I, Vince McMahon, choose oh. The Rock. Whoa! And there you hear it. The first pick in the draft. Oh, look! The Brahma Bull, and there you see The Rock. The Rock has been selected number one by Mr. McMahon. Wait, what an honor. He doesn't look too happy. The first ever third generation World Wrestling Federation Superstar. Oh, Vince. Cut the music, cut the music. Yes, yes, yep. Welcome to the Jay-Z extravaganza. I'd like to introduce my band right now. Just blazing the blazettes. <laughs> right now I want you to get a drummer song. No mind, really. Get a drummer song. Uh. Untouchable, break the unbreakable, shake the unshakable. It's holy, baby. Can't unstoppable. It's holy, baby. Follow the flow. Look, they say you're just standing on a giant shoulder. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited to be here <laughs> for the first episode of the draft diaries which is really i mean it's not really the first episode this is like the 13th episode in the series or maybe like 14th or something but it is the first episode of the draft diaries and it is the first series of this diaries thing that will actually be on the a show network alongside patreon patreon you guys will of course get it first so make sure you guys subscribe to the patreon.com backslash the a show rnc make sure you get this first because you will get this and you'll get the video first. So it just is what it is. Um, but of course, the way we ended last season is the way we have to begin this next season. I'm joined by none other than Justin, OG Johnny Five, cohort yes. of the show. Yes. What is my man? This is the first time we've done video in my new place. It's not ready. So I fully expect throughout this series, there'll be different shit throughout. Oh, of course, yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> the walls are painted. Yeah. <laughs> The new pad. I've only been able to set up my like workspace, recording space, and my sneaker space. That's it. So that's what we see today. About the priorities, the sneaker space. Um, <laughs> let me. See if I have my phone ready. Okay. All right. So boom. This series, we're continuing where we left off. I mean, this has been a continuation of the series from legitimately 2001. We started with the Invasion Diaries. We took a little detour through the X8 Diaries to lead up to WrestleMania 18. And now, I mean, this is so apropos because we're still 20 years since all of this kind of stuff kind of happened. 
we are going through the draft diaries and this draft diary series is to talk about all the growing pains of the first ever wwe draft we're talking about how raw was <laughs> raw started up pretty bad and then, <laughs> and how smackdown essentially how essentially we're getting through the fields of like they ain't know what they were doing through this entire thing it, it, i mean some would argue they still don't but uh this this first this was rough <laughs> this first one was rough this was so it, to me this first draft is like it's the most draftiest draft but it's also it's like the closest thing they have to an actual draft but it's also the furthest thing from an actual draft it is like, the strangest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and like we would get iterations of it for pretty much over the last 20 years at this point it's a yearly thing except i guess maybe this year i guess this year they're not doing it it feels like they oh well as we record it they have not announced it so um, no but you know nonetheless we're gonna go through the this episode is going to take part the first ever draft and through this entire season i mean we're gonna be talking about the draft we're gonna be talking about actually i probably need you back for the next episode as well because we're going over stone cold's walkout the next episode and all of the nwo same episode (laughs) (laughs) the fall of the fall of the mighty so we're gonna be talking about that we're going to be talking about SummerSlam 2002, Survivor Series 2002. We're going to get into a little bit of 2003. We're going to get into the, the the Raw versus SmackDown energy that was legitimately like because of who was involved. And I'm talking about like writers like Paul Heyman and stuff like actually tried to make it a real rivalry. Um, there's a lot of things to go over. We're going to be going pretty much this. We're starting the night after wrestlemania 18 and we're going through wrestlemania 19 and that'll be where it ends and that'll be where the series ends and hopefully maybe i'll do a 1999 diaries because that's yeah. <laughs> 1999 it's, is yeah. wild year 1999 is wild we got i i gotta i gotta tap in for some type of diary one day yeah, yeah of course. for for some type of type of uh the thing is people really want you to watch wcw and a lot of the shit that we were talking about here meals would well, not have been without the mistakes made. I'm 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 cognizant of that. Yeah. For if for a future potential 1999 diaries. So I'm definitely considering that I'm gonna have to watch at least two shows for every show that we watch. <laughs> um so it just is what it is. But speaking of diaries, and I love this concept of that so i've been racking my brain over the last number of months because we started the x8 diaries and we actually went through a lot of stuff in 2002 i probably should have paced myself because we cleared like a lot of like pop culture stuff so now i'm going into like the deep cuts of 2002 i'm getting real creative with my brain i'm trying to understand like okay how can we touch on 2002 take people back to the era of what 2002 was to me 2002 wasn't really a big year in any kind of pop culture (laughs) Well, 2002 is a strange year, and it's so funny that you mentioned 2002. I just watched a movie from 2002 last night called Eight-Legged Freaks, starring Mm. Dave Arquette, who is a former WCW champion. So, you know, the the tie-ins are there. Eight-Legged Freaks was part of this rise of cinema that didn't really make you think too much back then. Mm. Because after 9-11, everything changed. I say this on Late Fuse all the time everything changed and cinema changed and the way that we consumed media changed and i think you see a lot of that in wwf at the time where they're trying to give you an alternative to make you take your mind off of 
What is this? I have no idea. <laughs> it just paused. What did? It just, froze. just froze. Oh, that was weird. All right. I'm going to mark the timestamp. And then I got to edit this in the video, too. Damn it. Um, nonetheless, we're here. I love the diary concept. So I wanted to actually touch down to do a completely different diary series. So this first episode for the our look and what was happening in 2002, we're exploring the 2002 of one Jay-Z. <laughs> ah, this is gonna be good. I love talking about 2002 Jay Z. I think you know this too. <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about the entire 2002. Well, we're gonna talk about the high points of 2002. I want to say that it's very hard to find stuff from like before to a certain year on the internet. Um, the internet was in its infancy, and most things from the beginning popular era of like the boom the internet boom were just not available you're not mm -hmm. gonna go you're not gonna find any angle fire sites angel fire or geocity sites or all these other stuff like that much anymore or they'll probably be way way further back in the google search engine so i want to give a shout out to mtv news <laughs> and also the web archive and this is mtv news like their sway shaheem reed everyone's covering kind of like everything going on in 2002 so i want to give a shout out to them because their archive be, believe it or not mtv news is somehow the the only source of information of stuff from back then so <sighs> just want to cover all of this are you ready to get in 2002 of jay-z it gets a little murky <laughs> well, it gets murky and i want to i want to bring this up for anything like jay-z interviews past ether are practically non-existent on the internet. You cannot find them. It's almost as if his reaction to Ether never happened. If I was to tell people that he was on Hot 97 practically in tears because the people of New York City, your New York City meals, the people of New York City voted and said that Nas won the beef. Ether is hilarious. Ether is a funny song to me. Like, I find, I... I think it probably like once a month, I remember a line from Ether and just laugh. It's completely disrespectful. It doesn't age well. There's no way they'd be played in 2022, but still. He called him a Tybo ho. <laughs> and that's just like the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, this idea that Jay-Z was infallible started really after this year. And that he was old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then he was old, but like you know this was, idea what was that no i'd say this conversation of jay-z being old would further evolve once uh, he gets some beef with people in his own camp but yes yeah well that's even crazier but like i mean before you even get to any of the news let's just set the stage here jay-z's 2001 was epic for many reasons he dropped one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time but was embroiled in a beef that had been brewing for about two years and remember, the beef between Nas didn't even start because of him. It started because of Memphis Bleak. Memphis Bleak is the reason why all this shit happened in the first place. Listen, listen, no man. one remembers that though. <laughs> <laughs> listen, it would go, it would evolve. We got takeover. Well, we, super ugly, Ether, takeover. Are you either? How did it become Ether versus takeover as opposed to super ugly versus Ether? <laughs> Um, because Super Ugly was terrible. The thing is, it's funny is that I, I spoke with Josh about Super Ugly 
before on the black print. And he said that people in the West Coast love Super Ugly because it sampled that Nocturnal song. Um, and they love that song out there. So that song actually had more reverence to them than it did in the, on the East Coast because we didn't really listen to shit like that. You know yeah. what I mean? So like when, when you heard that, you heard the chorus, et cetera, et cetera. All we gravitate to is the condoms in the baby seat. But it's funny to hear that people from other parts of the, of the country didn't even think very much of that line at all. They just liked the fact that he was shouting out the West Coast. I, I only the only version of Takeover I listen to is the unplugged version. It just sounds better to me. <laughs> like I don't know. Those women in the front were so hyped to hear that shit. They were so, those women were every lame. That was them, yo. At one point, doesn't Jay stop saying the 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 ad libs and lets them say it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is MTV Unplugged, one of my favorite uh, listens. To be honest with you, like I, I love going through that Jay Z album. So we we are we are embroiled in that beef that was started because someone else started you know from a from an errant line on on Memphis Bleach Joint. Then Jay Z starts kind of rapping par- parts, but he starts rapping parts of Takeover elsewhere. And Nas has said nothing. Remember, Nas didn't say anything until Ether came out. On what day, Mills? On Jay Z's birthday. <laughs> Beef. <laughs> on December fourth, Ether comes out. So mind you, Takeover comes out September eleventh. And remember, Prodigy and Mob Deep were embroiled in this as well because they're all from Queensbridge. Whatever, whatever. He, he says I a lot of the ramifications of Takeover coming out on September eleventh. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out September eleventh. Well, remember, remember. I believe that that again, like I said, he had been rapping parts of it elsewhere mm-hmm. and, and on, on you know what i'm saying people that heard parts of the of the song it was fully fleshed out on the album comes out september 11th obviously it's not we, a lot of people had a lot of other things on their mind but i'll say this right now hip-hop it was all eyes on the blueprint like no one would like I, the way i remember it a lot of people were talking about the jay-z stuff at that time which is kind of crazy to say in in this day so we start 2002 and he's still embroiled in this beef, but we start 2002 with a very popular, uh, I guess, film that comes out of the Rockefeller camp. State property. Um, of course, state property. Hold on. Let me see. I'm a, I'm a Rockefellerologist, okay? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to play a scene from this movie, of course. I'm going to ask you, how do you think... Uh, do you think this is their true relationship? Shit, man, we man. I don't understand this shit, man. They, the cops are gonna do they think the cops are gonna handle this shit now. I'm feeling like a clown. What the fuck is it gonna do? Stop, I'm feeling bro. like a clown. This nigga calls me on my cell phone on Sunday. I'm with my kids. I can't I don't even understand this thing. So all right, so what are we gonna do? It's not a problem. What are we gonna do? I gotta do something. I'm gonna I'm the one, I'm in the street and I'm trying to make it happen. This shit. What the you fuck? Know, you don't need to hit that. Dog, this, I'm trying to tell you something. This is the problem, man. You motherfuckers is fucking with niggas. Shot at me. He shot at me in front of people. I want to fuck this bitch. He's telling shit at me. I mean, I don't understand this shit. What the, what the fuck is we gonna do? He shot at you? Yeah, nigga, he shot at me. Nigga, I, I'm, I'm shooting at the nigga. I, I, I was in the motherfucker. I'm in the club. Nigga shot at me in the club. We, we gotta do something. You should probably handle that. Yeah, well, motherfucker, I'm gonna handle it. What, what do you want me to do, nigga? Let's handle it. What the fuck? Yeah. I understand. Yeah, exactly. So what? What the fuck? Handle it. I am handling it. You gonna shoot me? Go now. Bruh. Knowing 
what happens to them remember this what happens to them in less than two and a half years after this is when it all it all falls down knowing what happens to them i have to think that this is this is like more truth than fiction here of course of course and first of all terrible acting and this is clearly not like do it yeah no this looks like very much so here's what we have for you he's not they're not even following the script obviously ad-libbing davis 50 miles per hour like but nonetheless state property soundtrack executive producers comes out january 18 2022 um less than one week later (laughs) you're gonna get a kick out of this um less than one week later jay-z and r kelly hype their joint lp oh they invite both <laughs> worlds oh oh um he's saying that now because he's never gonna see a world <laughs> ever again <laughs> not at all so they're hyping their march 26th release of the best of both worlds they invite press to a breakfast junket um who is the guest there johnny oh. cochran what is um, <laughs> they're describing um obviously they're doing the review of this they're saying uh let's see let's see let's see i'm trying to get the our last four songs tone from track masters poke it started a back and forth we wanted to know how serious it was let's see you can do this one right here he sends it back one day all right we send him two we got together at the end championship round and put it all together so this this album to me and, and it became a lot more clear. I, I believe Complex did something with Trackmasters one time to describe the best of both worlds and how R. Kelly and Jay-Z didn't really record it much together at all no. because they're essentially two different entities in different spaces. And I don't I don't even think Jay-Z liked to record... The whole process of recording stuff, I think he just likes to do it solo and on his own. He's very much an introvert. Um, but he says, listen, but even it says in this article, but even without them, Kelly has visions of grandeur for the LP, especially on the marketing end. He says, best of, best of both world t-shirts, draws, condoms, and everything. What best do you think they served? What do you think? Coming soon to a theater near you. What, what do you think they served at the breakfast? They actually have this here. Hold on. Little, little, weenie, little weenies? <laughs> Spinach and mushroom omelets and half hash browns. Um, let's see. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, this is weird. I don't know. So they had the presidents of Jive, the presidents of Def Jam, attorney Johnny Cochran, Andre Harrell, Russell Simmons, um, Ronald Isley, Kareem Bigsburg, Tone from Trackmasters, Magic Bishop Magic Don Juan, and Diddy. Nasty. All of them complicit. <laughs> all of them are complicit well, no one brings this up no no you're gonna get it it's, it gets even worse so just uh, less than a month later r kelly addre- i mean jay-z addresses the r kelly scandal that is now <laughs> thing it is he says <laughs> he says we're entertainers man <laughs> which is always <laughs> which is always a red flag he says, my new album coming out in December, November is called The Gift and the Curse. We accept the good with the bad 
it is what it is. And when he said, Jesus took time out from the fashion show for his Rockefeller clothing line, said, Kelly is in good spirits. He's cool. It's the gift and the curse. Which one? Which one was the gift, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> the duo has yet to shoot the video for the first single, and they never um, did. And they never did. <laughs> less than a month later, Jay Z's on the video. He's, he's shooting a new video for Song Cry. They pivoted back to Blueprint One. Yeah, it was still, Blueprint was still in its um. Blueprint was still you. You normally with albums you get about six months. Yeah, it was still in this album cycle. So yeah. Yeah, so they're shooting the video for Song Cry. They wanted to do the more videos, essentially, for the Jay-Z and uh, R. Kelly album, but due to the R. Kelly scandal popping up. And when you when, when we talk about the R. Kelly scandal in 2002, I mean, while I think he does remain a very prominent entertainer for probably the next 15 years after the fact, it was still a very big thing at the time. There yeah. were people burning his CDs on the street. I remember that um, crushing his CDs. Um, the tape was going around pretty much barbershops uh, everywhere. Everywhere where you bootleg like something, the tapes were going around. It was a very, uh, like, I'm looking back at the time. I'm a kid then, so I'm not even sure what's going on. And everyone's making R. Kelly P jokes. It's the Chappelle show, everything of the rather. And just like, wow, like, the machine, I think just. The culture back then wasn't as aware and stringent as it is now. I think one one thing that you mentioned that that you know I have forgotten about is that people actually did boycott him and protest him and were written yeah. off this the same way that a lot of people were written off today, or they were written off during Me Too, and they were written off during all of these other points. Like these people knew something at that point. You had to think, Mills, it took another 20 years before this man was sentenced to anything. And I know we're getting this is getting heavy. This will be Jay-Z's whole thing right now. But like he's part of this, too. And and you got to think the fact that he didn't record any videos. They ended up not going on the tour that ended up blowing up in everyone's face. You know, the the, uh, uh, pepper spray gate ended up happening with Ty Ty and all that stuff. I don't know if you, you had that on the docket, but. No, um, no, no. It happens in two thousand four. That's why. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well. Well. You, you have. You you have to think that like you know all of this stuff happens because when the heat started getting hot, somebody next to Jay Z probably one of the they, they used to have the the remember uh bowl uh Bri, uh what was his name Byron who wrote for it double XL Byron Crawford used to call him the TIs the tall Israelis <laughs> used to own the, the labels. I, I would have to imagine that those TIs that he used to talk about took took Jay-Z aside, nudged them and said, hey, bud, I think it's true. Because Jay-Z was one of the first people that actually kind of separated himself from, from R. Kelly. Completely. The, the heat got hot. The, and then the heat died down. It tried it again in 2004. The 2004 allegations are actually worse than the ones now. <laughs> so they tried to do it again. And it was at, at what point did Jay-Z ever say, you know what, man? I was wrong. I shouldn't have did that. He's never come out and said anything like that about R. Kelly. Ever. I mean, ever. 
I think even when you look at 2004, and I remember specifically that time being a lot more closer to the news junk at MTV News and all this other stuff like that, and just kind of seeing like I, it it ended up playing out like there's a situation that happens. He thinks he saw a gun. He's avoiding the tour. They end up going their own separate ways, and that's kind of how it dissipates. Like oh, he's a weird you know the whole doing this thing like you know he tilts his head to like yeah, yo he's a weird guy you know he's a he's a different guy something along those lines and uh. Hey man, it is uh this man legitimately said it's the gift and the curse of being a celebrity. Like and you know, it just makes me it's a it's a recurring thing with like Jay-Z from time to time of like kind of like um what would I describe it? Saying the wrong thing. Like being yeah. maybe a little bit tone deaf to certain yeah. situations at times. Um well, so Jay-Z- you to be tone deaf this year so this isn't this isn't it so <laughs> so um song cry comes out the video they're doing is it's a it's a boy meets girl story that's what they describing it as in this article <laughs> which i like the song song cry to be honest with you it, i don't like the video that no one when, when you talk about the the lexicon of jay-z videos that's never brought up yeah because it's a very simple video um <laughs> Let me Google this just to make sure I want to have the. So there was a next month. There's a new tour that's potentially brought up. The triple threat tour. Um, the triple threat tour featuring Ja Rule, Jay-Z and P Diddy. Oof. The tour never happens, by the way. No. Um, Last week while promoting her LP in New York, Ashanti let the cat out the bag that the three factions were set to roll out starting June 12th. So this is Rockefeller, Murder, Inc. and Bad Boy. Um, Many egos. (laughs) Moments later, Ja had a bubble bursting (laughs) refutation. I hate to put the cat back in the bag, but it ain't going down no more as of 15 to 20 minutes ago. (laughs) A perturbed rule said less than half an hour later, we'll be making a new tour. Um, And... Ja Rule's, I mean, Murder Inc. CEO Irv Gotti spilled the beans about what happened to tour's collapse. Jay pulled out, Gotti says. It's as simple as that. We was going to do the tour. We signed off. Jay-Z said he wanted to fall back and make another album, which is cool. Jay-Z is like my brother, so I'm not mad at him or anything. But the tour was going to happen. Everything was set. But I respect his decision and ride with him. Listen, man. If I had to think about it... <clears throat> Who would have opened on that tour? <laughs> Oh, Murder Inc. 100. percent Okay. Yes, but I think that it came down to you would have to think around that time. And, and again, I'm just this is theory. This is booking here. Jaws' proximity to Nas probably at the time mm. was was probably a major a major thing. Jaw and Nas have always been really cool. Remember, after this goes down, they tried to they tried to basically recruit, they, exactly they tried to sign Nas or whatever and. Um, it was definitely has something to do with his proximity to Nas. All of that kind of connects. I, I I get why Jay did that. He was trying to play chess with, with that whole situation, and I think it did. I think it did really alienate him from Murder Inc. I don't think you ever see them in any any kind of capacity together again. Nah, not at all. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, April thirtieth, two thousand two. Jay Z guest feature. Guess who's back? Scarface and Beanie Siegel. Classic. Great song. Um, May 15th, 
Cameron speaks about beef with Jay Z and Tout's new single "Welcome to New York City." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have exact quotes. I'm waiting for the page to load. <laughs> this is the Angel Fire. This is the Angel Fire site. <laughs> this is MTVNews.com. Um, okay, no. I believe, I, listen, I can't believe that site still has archives. So, listen. like. If anyone could save the site, they really need to save every single article on that site, to be honest with you. The article, the article's title name is Cameron says duet with Jay-Z is crazy like Bin Laden. <laughs> hey, hey, man, hey, the obsession. We could also do a diplomatologist, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a diplomatologist. I mean, and I mean the anthropology, you know, the 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 anthropology behind the the diplomats obsession with osama bin laden it's it speaks far and far and wide like they did not care that year i feel as though they they latched on to that as an edgy type of thing they back away from it toward the end of the year but this was really their shit like come home with me and again the 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 cameron signing meals you could think because they signed it was it was it was they hit the ground running he had the album ready already Mm -hmm. They, they, they signed old boy was already ready and the album was already ready you got to think that like him, like Cam signing or Dame signing Jay, uh, Cam and not telling and not telling Jay that he was making Cam one of the co-CEOs was definitely the beginning of the end for that for that um, record label. <sighs> Upon coming to The Rock and subsequently bringing his crew, the diplomats, Cam played his position and started mingling with his new family. Although he did admit that while it took a while to bond with Jay-Z, he dismissed any rumors of friction with the two. That the rumors started immediately, Mills. <laughs> he says, "When you're when you're coming around, you don't always want to be in someone's face. Just meeting them, Cam explained. Especially with me, I don't run behind nobody. Yeah, okay. everybody feels I'm not gonna beg him to do this and that. I may ask him to do something, and when he gets back to me, he gets back to me. It was a feel out situation, but after a few months, you just start vibing with people." <laughs> He won't fucking with him. he won't fucking with that nigga. <laughs> I can, just from Cam's just energy and Jay's energy and who Jay keeps around him and who Cam keeps around him, it's fucking one hundred percent clear. Um, it's also the difference between Brooklyn people and Harlem people. Um, Big difference, apparently. It, no, there, there's a massive difference. Um, Cam said he and Jay Z warm, gradually warmed up to one another, slapping five and keeping it moving. They gelled with Jay-Z making an 11th hour cameo on Come Home With Me, 11th hour. He says, what happened was we had a conversation. He pulled me to the side and he says, even though we don't talk much, I like your stuff, recalled Cam. Also pondered retiring from rap if his old boy cologne sales didn't go through the roof. Um, (laughs) I said, I like your stuff too. Even though we don't kick it as much, it was respect there. He said, I'm definitely going to do something before the album was finished. This is the Jay-Z spin. Um, Hey, I like your stuff too to the guy who just made a five mic album. (laughs) And, And I think here's the thing is like these two were both jousting, you know, to be the top dog. Cam had his own thing. Cam was arguably, and especially in the underground, one of the most popular rappers you know, out at that time, Jay Z was, I mean, admittedly, rightfully, was a little bristled at him, at him signing. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was a lot of stuff coming at him. One last statement from Cam it says, No disrespect to welcome to Atlanta. This is Bin Laden, Taliban action right here. 
This song is crazy. All the drama in New York at one time are joining straight hard. Somebody's gonna get hurt when it comes on. You know how Rod get you know how people get rowdy in the club? They're gonna start throwing their drink around. <laughs> I don't know if it reached that level, but it's a good song. <laughs> I oh for some reason describing something as bin Laden Taliban action <laughs> in 2002 for welcome Just- to New York City. <laughs> Describing it as terroristic <laughs> in nature is crazy, <laughs> but that that's how it was. It, it's like it, it, the one thing about Cam and, and Jay is that they were they're oil and water. You know what I'm saying? Incredibly talented MCs, especially at that time. Like incredibly talented guys, incredibly smart guys. But egos through the roof. You know what I'm saying? Like Jay Z was Jay Z, Cameron was Cameron. They they did not mix well, and 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 you definitely saw that. Like you read between the lines of these articles, and as as friendly as it made it sound, whoever wrote that was definitely describing it just as, as probably how it went down. It was Shaheem Reed wrote that, by the way. Oh, of um, course, he knew. <laughs> he would know. <laughs> absolutely. We um. It reminds me of the story of the old boy remix that never saw the light of day. Jay Z does this verse. <laughs> This is around that time, Mills. Gotta remember, this is around that time. They were they were very frosty, chilly. Of course, Jay Z's gonna play the you know play company man at his new signing, but in the back be like, Dame, what the fuck are you doing? These dudes are wild. Did you hear what they said about Nas last week? Did you hear what he said about his daughter? Are you sure you want to do this shit? Like I'm like they were wilding. He deletes the old boy remix. And when I remember someone in the interview was like, nah, you don't have like the files of it. He's like, no, nigga, it's gone. They told him, <laughs> erase that shit from existence. Don't save it on no drive. Don't do nothing. I don't want to hear it. I don't need no verse on this. Oh boy, remix never comes out. Um, I'm going to skip one. The, the, there's one on May 30th. Jay-Z joins Ja Rule, Most Def, Fat Joe, Wu-Tang Clan, Ashanti, and Dead Prez. The protest, Mayor Bloomberg's $1 billion cuts to the New York public, New York City public school system. The more things stay the same. <laughs> but here's my thing is that now he's doing, he's, he's, he's airdropping crypto to niggas. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, to be honest with you, $1 billion cap- New York City public school system. I probably felt that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you did you ended up okay. You're all right. He <laughs> <laughs> doing draft diaries. Um, <laughs> June 27, 2002. Nas no shows summer jam. You know why? You gonna talk? You gonna get into it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For weeks there had been speculation about the MC. It wasn't a matter if Nas was going to exact his revenge on Jay Z for calling him out in front of the tri-state area last year. But how? What surprises did Nas have up his sleeve? On Wednesday night, the only talk was where he was. Where the f- is Nas? A man screamed futil- futilely at the stage. That's bullshit. A brief chant of We Want Nas went out, even among the audience. So just where was Nas? When he was supposed to perform at the first ever summer jam? He was in New York, but he was on the air taking no prisoners in an interview with Hot 97's Rial Power 105. Power 105. What is it? What is it? What is an award? God gives me an award every time I wake up. <laughs> I it's brand spanking fucking new at this time. Like new, mm-hmm. just came out the gate. Barely mm-hmm. have. I mean, they're signing people from Hot 97, but barely have any kind of staff. 
I remember because I remember oh, Power 105. We got something, you know. I remember listening to High 97 Forever as a kid, and like Power 105 came out. I was like, oh, this is crazy. He says, I'm here to let my people know why I'm not at SummerSlam. He says on Hot 97, Hot 90, former Hot 97, DJ Steph Lovers show. I've been bamboozled, hoodwinked, and the whole nine. I'm here to let my people know that I was dissed this morning and was told what I couldn't do on the show, which is outrageous and shows that the wrong people are in power. It's really out of hand and I'm not going for it. Now, <laughs> we wouldn't learn what he actually had planned for quite some time where he had a whole, essentially made a whole Jay-Z mannequin was going to hang him on stage while he performed Ether. And we've only just now, maybe a year ago, seen what that yeah. uh, mannequin looked like with the big ass lips. <laughs> and absolutely not. <laughs> you cannot do that. Like it was. I'm trying to see if I can find this shit. Oh, it, it was a video on Twitter or something. I, I remember seeing about it. Absolutely there. I'm not even going to show the video. I'm just going to show the fucking picture. Um, but hold on. Got to take that down. Gotta share this thing. Share my screen. Mm-hmm. Like that's sick. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy. And mm-hmm. he planned to hang it in front of everyone. A thing. And what would what would this have done to Hot ninety seven at the time? Jay Z would have never shown up ever FCC, again. Yeah, FCC would have went crazy on the ass. FC not 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 just Jay Z. They would have had fines out the ass. They're not caring about Jay Z. They're caring about the the monetary part of mm-hmm. that and. One thing about it is the nature of this beef, right, Mill? So the beef started really kind of getting hot in September 2001. It is now the summer of 2002, and Nas is just now saying something back. The the to, to, to be honest, the two would trade kind of barbs on different songs and stuff like that for the months leading up to it, but no like real songs after like Super Ugly and all those others. Because Jay-Z came right back with Super Ugly after Ether came out. He was pissed. And then his yeah. mom, one thing about it is that his mom made him apologize for that. And he had to go on radio and apologize for putting that song out. And it was it was practically just silence. But Nas had not let it go. I think the one thing that incensed him more than anything. And again, like this Nas just said that Jay-Z had dick sucking lips and all type of stuff on that song was the fact that that Jay brought up his baby mom and her relationship with him and Island Iverson at the time. Right. And he's still mad and incensed about this and this is why he makes this move because and the thing is i'm gonna keep it 100 Nas's predictions of where jay was going as far as being a capitalist what he was not wrong about <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> he was not wrong about him being an opportunist at all uh, a month later jay-z is back from his european vacation and he's hopping Girl. in the studio Euro J, can we talk about it? <laughs> Euro J, he brings up the he brings up Gift and a Curse in January. You got to remember the album was actually not recorded until he gets back from that vacation. It's almost as if this motherfucker had just had never been to Europe in his life. <laughs> he's wearing sandals, he's doing all types of shit. He had called Hot ninety seven, like before that, called in I believe to talk to Angie. He had coined himself Euro J at that point, talking like Austin Powers. <laughs> I need to find this clip. Hold on. It's, it's, you can't find... Bro, I swear to you, you cannot find this shit. It was the most absurd thing ever because Jay was in his I'm not hurt, I'm really not hurt thing 
Because I think at that point he had kind of known and seen what was going on with the with the alleged hanging at, at Summer Jam, and that really hurt him. Like Jay, you got to people got to remember is Jay was still loved, okay? But with the Nas beef, he had lost like a certain section of hip hop heads that mm-hmm. really loved Nas, and that hurt him a lot. And even though he had the mainstream, he still kind of wanted to be. The underground king at that time as well and he didn't have that anymore after Nas did all of that because it, the, the lyrical battle he had lost because Nas had proven himself right Jay was all about his riches but it's like with Jay it's like well I reached, to, I reached a certain level should I not be about this what should I do and then it's, I know this is going to lead us to the album but this Euro Jay is a part of the I'm not hurt I have more money than Nas and this is where this is where it starts at um, he says when he talks about the the triple threat tour, he says when it first started out, I was gonna do the tour. I pulled to start the album. I'm like, I'm at a cool space right now. John Puff was supposed to go on tour. They had the dates lined up. Road and manager asked me for a couple of acts. So I'm thinking they going on tour. In my mind, everything's sealed. That's fine. They're gonna go do their tour. Cool. I got dates. I'm gonna go out in August. I'm gonna do a sprite run real quick and a little warm up for my album. The tour didn't happen, so it looks like I don't know how it looks like to them, but that's the truth of the matter. I had to, can- I had Ja cancel tours and cancel getting a lot of money for the Triple Threat tours. Irv Gotti says everything was a go. We signed off on the album, blah blah blah. But essentially, he says he recorded about seven tracks for this album beforehand, which at, at this point for Blueprint Two means absolutely fucking nothing because it's a double album. <laughs> and do you, is Jay Z the one who? Is Jay-Z an artist who, if he records songs for this album, they're getting used for the album? Like, he doesn't record, like, bonus shit or a lot of, like, unreleased shit. Like, when he records it, it's for the intent of the album. Um, You gotta remember, uh, a lot of stuff did actually end up on the cutting room floor for this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, around the same time, uh, Paid in Full had come out. <clears throat> and... What happened with Paid in Full is that it had a regular sound. It had a regular like soundtrack, but it also had a a, a classic soundtrack with old songs up there. Like um, it had, I got it made up there. Fool's Paradise, Paid in Full. A lot of cutting room floor Jay Z stuff ended up on that album. Namely, uh, People Talking ended up on that album, where he kind of leads you into um, Gift and Curse. I believe People Talking. Don't quote me on this was served as some sort of intro for gift and the curse but it got left on the cutting room floor as the album got like bigger in scope but i think he made a lot of songs for this a lot of those songs ended up on the cutting room floor and they ended up on the chant on the uh on the Rockefeller all-stars thing because the uh, rock army he's on that i know dame dash was making the dream team stuff in between that don't you know ended up on the on that mixtape um and mm-hmm. a couple other i think like he had one more joint on there but they, but he definitely had some leftovers the follow-up to this is Jay-Z challenges Nas to a pay-per-view battle during a radio takeover. This is what you're alluding to, the interview mm-hmm. with Angie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, for two consecutive days this week, Jay-Z guested on Angie Martinez's afternoon show, which is he wild. Was, he was basically hosting it. Niels, is, I've never seen anything like it. He was practically trying to get New York back. It was almost like he had the, the poll numbers, and he heard <laughs> the poll numbers, and he said, Jay, you're losing them in, you're losing them in, in Brooklyn. Uh, Manhattan, you're kind of okay. You're losing them, Jay. You gotta go on 97. <laughs> He's on Angie Martinez speaking about rumors of civil unrest within the Rockefeller camp, which he scoffed at. Which, which were real. Which were absolutely real. He says, how could I leave the Rock? 
I am The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> that should tell you right now what was going on. Yes, they were real. I, I, well, before you continue, you want to know who, who he was in Europe with? Who? Kevin Lyles. Leo Cohen. Who ran Def Jam at the time. The seeds were being planted. Mm. Stone Cold Vince McMahon moment. Because he starts <laughs> hanging out with them a lot more. Continue. Echoing that challenge, um, more significant Jay-Z's reaction to the ongoing beef with Nas, echoing a challenge he made in the current issue of the Source magazine, magazine Jigga suggested that the two rivals settle their differences with a pay-per-view rhyme battle. He added that each party could pony up $1 million for the wager with all proceeds going to a charity of the winner's choice. Money. Um, money, <laughs> money confused as charity. Because it, 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 this will continue into the album. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up because the album is where it, it all opens up, his mental state. By day two of Jay's marathon interview, he reported that boxing promoter Don King had already faxed a proposal to organize the event. Don't call up your local local cable providers just yet, though. Nas has not accepted nor responded to Jay-Z's three-rhyme challenge. Um, Nas is so mad. He was so mad that Ether, almost a year to the day, almost at that point, had still won public perception. It was still ringing out. No one, and here's the thing, <clears throat> revisionist history will have you believe Jay-Z came out of this unscathed. These are not the these are not the actions of a man who, who did not lose a beef <laughs> at all. Nas is currently in the studio recording his next album with help from Murder Inc. Sir Gotti. Uh, yeah. What did I say? <laughs> what did I say? I told you. Oh my God! September third, two thousand two. Jay Z appears on "What We Do" with Freeway and Beanie Siegel off of Philadelphia Freeway album. So, classic record. Mm-hmm. Um, always reminds me of it's, it's it's when the weather gets chilly. That's what the song reminds me of. Like, gotta turn that on. Jacket, <laughs> uh, radiators, um, the, the 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 skull caps with the fucking brim, all that type of shit. But it was clear. It was clear that the Rockefeller had splintered into factions at that point, right? Absolutely. Jay Absolutely. was always close to state property. Those that was his pet project. He, he was with the Young Guns, developing those guys. Dame was always with the Harlem guys, and the newer acts that he was doing and bringing up. PD like like PD Crack was somebody that was close. PD was just brought into state property through Dame. You know, there was a lot of a lot of people that Dame was kind of developing. And of course, you have a, a, a young Kanye West around there somewhere that had not metastasized into who he was yet. But that was a Dame project as well. A month later, Jay Z releases the first single from Blueprint 2 03, Bonnie and Clyde. Let's take a look. The plays of them on 106 and Park. <laughs> was she 16 here? No. <laughs> Hold on. Let me take off the overlay. Uh, that's funny. Hold on. Oh, God. All right. Play the damn thing again. Are there going to be any collab- Is Jay, Jay going to be on your album? Any collaborations, possibly? Yeah, I hope so. Cut the track. Cut the track. Okay. <laughs> now, what about Destiny's Child? Are y'all gonna be working on something? Yeah, as well? we're about to um, start rehearsing. We have a small tour for the Christmas holidays. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. Solange, right. being Beyonce's sister, do you feel any pressure? You have solo star. Your album about to drop. 
She's gonna choke him in 10 years. It's a whole different sound. Basically, I'm just going out there and doing my thing. I'm not worried about any comparisons. I mean, she's a beautiful person to be compared to. But uh, hopefully, once my music comes out and hit the scene, I'll make a name for myself. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. We're gonna talk more to them in a minute. Let's go to number six video right now the 504 boy, Ty Whips. Ty Whips. We roll tight whips every day. We appreciate all the love out there and uh, pick up the blueprint too. Pick up Salon CD. AJ got a Christmas party, a cheater popping off. <laughs> all right, chill. <laughs> She's like, chill. Yeah, yeah, performing live. How Jay Z there with his new work and his old work? That's crazy. <laughs> How you there with his new work and his old work, man? Get out of here. Body language. Did you see Beyonce's body language? This is clear. Beyonce's body language is how you got me here with your old work and I'm your new work. <laughs> she got him the single. First of all, this is a point in Beyonce's career where she's still freshly, like newly minted. She's attempting a solo career. She did the Austin Powers thing. The single didn't really work out. So they're pairing her with Jay-Z at the time and they're putting her in velour sweatsuits and shit to make her look the part for the time and all this other stuff like that but she clearly has no direction on her solo career at all which is very it's like you had to be there to know that that was the thing um and jay-z just kind of how he's moving at that time his whole body language is screaming like yeah whatever yeah, it's like, yeah it's, it, it, mentally, me was looking at that now, seeing how things have 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 edged out. I think I've said it before that Jay Z to me is like the most like emotional rapper of all time. Like he's the most reactive rapper of all time. He's trying to th- at this point try and look like he's like not really phased by the fact that again he's going more into like a pop lane. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't think he really regains that real hip hop lane after blueprint one and when you get to the album and you see the features you're gonna see why (laughs) absolutely um less than a week later he gets a little not a little tussle or something along those lines but tony braxton i don't know if you remember this moment um tony braxton had a song came out using the same tupac shakur me and my girlfriend sample oh yeah Braxton claimed that Jay Z knew about the song and put out his song to essentially like downplay. So Tony Braxton comes out with the song, um, essentially me and my girlfriend, like redoing the entire fucking song. Um, days later, O3 Bonnie and Clyde comes out, and she's <laughs> essentially Kanye West. You know, notes on this Kanye West, the producer of the song, says, "I had no idea about Tony Braxton's song." Um, she can't act like ain't nobody ever heard of me and my girlfriend before. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It, it's true. It was a weird beef. It was like, okay, Tony, but like you speak to like a completely different audience than what Jay-Z is trying to get. And plus, like, that's his new work. They had to do a new, they had to do his lawn together. <laughs> Braxton said that her song was recorded over the summer and legend that Jay-Z only decided to um, do O3 Bonnie and Clyde after she played a cut for a friend at Def Jam Records. Um, in response, Kanye said that he brought the remake idea to Jay-Z after listening to a friend's Machiavelli album one night. I don't really believe Kanye, but whatever. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't either but, but again, we don't have video of like uh, any of that being created. Um, 
this is more common than you think though in music just period like similar concepts i'm more interested in how the hell they said they were able to sample the prince song more than anything like that is to me the biggest mystery of all time is how they were and, I, and i'm guessing it's because they interpolated it and they probably like played it over but like that getting that print sample is kind of crazy i think at one point jay-z is like yo like i don't want no beef i'll hop on the remix if you want like <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't even remember what Prince era we were in at that time. So who knows what mindset he was in? So this was very much true. Um, Jay Z. I mean, at some point, hold on, got to find the exact actual date for this because I only have the first week sales. Oh, okay. A month later, um, the Blueprint Two, The Gift and the Curse is released. Mm-hmm. I've not looked at his discography. I, I haven't listened to this album in years. Going through the list of the track listing, featuring a dream featuring Faith Evans and Notorious B.I.G., which I was like, stop right there. So (laughs) stop right there. The commercials for this album had him rapping this acapella. Remember? Mm, It's the black. Find it. Against the black background. So am I to believe again, remember an ether. He says, he says a lot of disparaging things. I'm not going to say all of them uh, about Jay being on, on Biggs, on his bumper, being on, being, being a, a, a weed carrier for Biggs. And so what does Jay-Z do? He goes to the route of, well, I really knew Big and you know what? He came to me in a dream and he told me all about this whole situation and he told me that even like, like Jesus, you're like Jesus. So they still, they'll stone you too. There is a there is a a sense of well here goes the commercial before you before you go into it. Not playing the audio, but go ahead. But there is a sense of paranoia throughout Blueprint 2, and there's like a an invisible they, hashtag they throughout the whole album. And you're wondering who's they other than Nas. Is it Dame? Is it Rockefeller? Who is it that's doubting Jay-Z at this point? You don't even fucking know. But at this point, it's almost as if Jay doesn't trust anyone because I guess he didn't get enough love after takeover lost the ether so he says you know what everything that Nas brought up about me on, on ether i'm gonna bring up on this album in front starting song number one since he says i'm a big I'm, I'm a notorious big dick writer he came to me in a dream and said that he i knew that all this was coming and i'm gonna get his wife on it and hence i'm not gonna play the audio because they will absolutely pull this shit but <laughs> this is strange this is strange this is weird <laughs> I see, I said. Jealousy, I said. Got the whole industry mad at who? <laughs> if anything, Meals, they're more mad at Nas because he's one, not engaging in the in Jay-Z's theatrics. Two, tried to hang a dummy that looked like a black man in Summer Jam. The industry's more mad at Nas. Nas is more mad at the industry for, again, as he said before, they had written him off. Who's mad at you? The the album featured a dream with Faith Evans and Tori's B.I.G. Hovey Baby. Great song. Great song. The Watcher, the Dr. Dre Rock Him and Truth Hurts. Just Truth Hurts biggest fucking feature at any point in life ever. And again, first three songs really Nas not really Nas either subliminals or Nas disses. I mean Hovey Baby is pretty much f- fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Credit, credit to Just Blaze for picking that obscure TLC sample. The, that's to, the sample from that is t, the the beginning of TLC's tour 
when they come out it's that instrumental that that, that yeah like it's crazy um excuse me miss great record i remember playing it at my prom um what they gonna do featuring sean paul which i can't even remember what that sounds like yo 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 good old the wild side good old the wild side i believe that song had a remix or the original version at the end of this too and that was like the remixed version all around the world but latoya williams no i'm not fully sure who latoya williams is um popping tags big boy killer mike and twister <clears throat> uh, Andre 3000 wouldn't do the song for that. Had to replace him with Killer Mike. Andre 3000 wouldn't do the song. He said in an interview, he was like popping tags. He was just like, well, that's that's not what I'm all about. <laughs> so he wouldn't do the, he didn't do the song. Jay really wanted him on the song. And he wouldn't do it. Hilarious. Um, Fuck All Night, produced by the Neptunes. Terrible. Um, the Bounce with Kanye West. This um, was, you see, if you watch Genius. Uh, Kanye West documentary. This was kind of his moment when he rapped this verse to Jay, and Jay was like, "Okay, you can get on the song." Um, <laughs> that verse, <laughs> yeah, it, it was that verse uh, that got him on there again. It, it was another like it was basically a Kanye verse that he had been spitting on his mixtapes for like a year at that point. Um, and then I did it my way, and it ends the gift. Um, now the curse comes. <laughs> Diamond is forever. Stop right there. Uh, he calls out everyone on Rockefeller in the first verse, and then at the end says, "I guess snatch Cam and it's a wrap." Like he's, he's like, "I guess you could get Cam too." I guess, fuck, whatever. Um, Guns and Roses featuring Lenny Kravitz, Kravitz, produced by Heavy D. You don't know remix featuring MOP. Song is a year old. Why is it on here? <laughs> Meet the parents. Great song. Somehow, some way. Great song, Scarface. Mm-hmm. They had the chemistry they had. The chemistry they had was just off Absolutely. the charts. Very big trios championship vibe. Um, <laughs> some people hate. Fantastic. Uh, so- Nas this <laughs> blueprint two. Stop, uh, right Stop it right there. Can't y'all see that he's fake? The rap version of TD Jakes prophesizing on his CDs and tapes. What? <laughs> He mentions the million dollars that he would not put up. Won't give you a dime off the the, the, the little that he makes. <laughs> like I, I another line. Uh, I spent dollars on mine as Columbine when the towers dropped. I was the first in line. So what? <laughs> so what? I have never ever heard a rapper brag about the charities that they gave to because because why they, they say they call me they call me mr misogynist but they don't tell me the the amount that he gives back to the kids or whatever okay is this supposed to put you over nas is it uchi wally waller is it one mic that's where this comes from as well this was literally like why don't y'all love me <laughs> like you love nas what did you feel about this song when you heard it i can't remember any of the blueprint too i bought the blueprint <laughs> Because why would I buy a double disc album? And, and that, I, the thing was, I heard it wasn't that great. And I remember, and, I, and then to fill out my Jay Z because I had a bunch of Jay Z albums, I said, okay, yeah. I'll just buy Blueprint Two Point One. It cost yeah. less. Yeah. Um, so I bought Blueprint Two. Blueprint Two was a solid thirty dollars when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, there was no <laughs> yeah. way I was gonna get it. No. Nah. <laughs> and and I remember listening to that playing GTA Vice City at the time. It came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. And um and, and again, Blueprint 2 
2.1 was even a reaction to how people felt about it because they were expecting him to come harder. The real hip hop heads wanted him to come harder. That's what the curse was about. But then you have uh, so many hoes <laughs> on that disc. Too many hoes. Um, I don't know what's going on outside. Um, <laughs> nigga, please featuring young Chris. Kill them um, on that. <laughs> as one featuring Memphis Blake, Beanie Siegel, Freeway, Young Guns, Speedy Crack, Sparks, and Rel. No cam. <laughs> <laughs> no cam. I'm just listen. I'm just saying it. I'm just speaking what what happened in, in 2002. This is a great segment. A ballad for the fallen soldier. Terrible song. <laughs> um, show you how bitches and sisters and what they gonna do part two as the bonus tracks on this. And then he would drop the Blueprint 2.1, which is the one that I would buy, and I wouldn't buy it until April 2003. Um, the album sells 545,000 in its first week, which is okay. It's double, though. It's a double disc album. <laughs> That's what it's, I'm saying. It's double. So it really sold half. Yeah. But because it's a double disc album, they count both discs, which mm-hmm. is like all to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It's, it does it does what it is. It debuts at number one, all the other jazz like that. Um, I had a video for this. What did I have on this for? Oh, no. Sway interview. Um, And then December 5th, this is the last point, so we can actually head into wrestling after not talking about wrestling for a whole fucking hour. I feel as though a lot of the people on our Patreon is going to love this. Absolutely. Jay-Z and Reebok announced the S. Doc Carter Reebok collection. Euro J, who is he meeting with? Who is he with? What are they enticing him with? This is what you can do on your own. It's not the Rockefeller collection. It's the S. Doc Carter collection. Mm. And this is where, listen, you don't know a lot of rappers' real names. No. It's not, no it's a, he's, he's transforming the perception. A lot. He, was, he was setting up his next move because... What does he do, Meals? I know we're not going to 2003, but what does he do, Meals, when the, the, the album reviews for Blueprint 2 are less than satisfactory? Y'all don't get it. I'm retiring. <laughs> and then proceeds to make music while he's retired and then comes back. Y'all don't uh, get it. I'm retiring two months after you said there was no problems in the group, by the way. <sighs> That was Jay-Z's 2002. Hey, hey, man. I hope y'all enjoyed some of the knowledge. I, I know Mills did this for on purpose because he knew I, <laughs> I could speak to a lot of this shit. Absolutely. Of course I did. <laughs> um, but we're going to head into now the draft diaries. And where do we start? None other than Monday Night Raw, March 25th, 2002, emanating from Penn State. Very spooky place. <laughs> Very spooky place. The WWE draft is going down. This has been something. I mean, if you're list, if you've listened to this series for some time since the Invasion Diaries, they were anticipating the draft. The original acquisition for Monday Night Raw, I mean, sorry, of WCW was so they could have two brands. They could have Monday Night Nitro and they can have SmackDown. WWF would be SmackDown. WCW would be Monday Nitro. They did literally, we talked about that the first episode of Invasion Diaries. They came out the gate with the Booker T versus Buff Bagel thing. It did not pan out. Plans were absolutely changed. Mm-hmm. 
throughout the summer, there was always initiation throughout the invasion angle. We're going to do the draft. We're going to do the draft. We're going to do the draft. It never came. They initially were supposed to do the draft at the top of 2002 when Triple H returned. They were going to do it at Madison Square Garden. Never came. So after WrestleMania 18, I think, well, I think a lot of it had to also do with like Hulk Hogan coming in, trying to position him, NWO, where they're going to fit and all this other stuff like that. So a lot of things were off delayed. Um, we finally get to it after WrestleMania. They they essentially promote that these two men, Vince McMahon and Ric Flair, cannot coexist. They can't. Ric Flair's punching people in the crowd. Um, <laughs> Vince McMahon's using his power for evil. These two cannot coexist on their same show, nor two two managers control the same show. It's weird because now you have two CEOs right now as well. <laughs> you wonder how that works out. Um, so Linda McMahon, along with the board of directors, come up with there needs to be a draft. And there will be superstars going to Monday Night Raw. And there will be superstars going to SmackDown. And that will be the draft. And this is the first ever draft that ever occurs in the WWE television. Um, thoughts, overarching thoughts. I'll wait till this car passes by. Overarching thoughts on the on the. The idea of the draft. Well, actually, you know what? Take me back to 2002. What was your thoughts when they were doing the draft? <clears throat> my my thought was that I think even as a teenager, I was like, this roster is too big. I was I was intrigued, though. And I think anyone would be intrigued about what's what's going to happen with, you know, a potential draft. Like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Who's going to go over? Because I think that at the, at the time, what show were you really watching more than anything? I think at that time I was like, I couldn't really stay up that long for, for, um, for raw, but I would definitely be, I would definitely get a, get a, get a pass to stay up for SmackDown. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm watching SmackDown more often because it's actually on free TV at that yeah. time. You know what I mean? And, and I could, I could tap in with it a lot more than I could with, with raw based on where I was standing at. So I was just worried about where my favorite guys would end up. I had no clue. Like, the machinations and the behind the scenes about all of it. But again, like even, even with like my, my adult eyes now, I would say that I feel like the, the company needed a shakeup because after the invasion kind of fumbled, they knew that they needed to do something different there. And I do commend them on thinking of that. But I think to me, and, and I think this is going to come up multiple times during this series is that like the draft has never actually been coherently handled to a point where it's benefited both shows at the same time. Absolutely. And it starts here. It starts here. (laughs) They spend, and again, as we'll go through, through this entire diaries, this draft diaries, they would spend the entire summer essentially fixing everything that they do with this draft because some pieces don't line up well here the ratings aren't doing well here there's more stars on this show the rock is going to leave so who are we gonna need on this show etc 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 so you got the draft linda mcmahon kicks off the entire show in front of the wwe you know roster who by the way they legitimately kept it from them that of which show they were going to go to, except probably The Rock. <laughs> like, <laughs> The Rock had to make sure, listen, I'm not going to just show up on any fucking show. Like, your your career is not in my hands. I'm The Rock. Like, I'm the biggest yeah. star. So I'm pretty sure The Rock knew. Maybe I would say The Undertaker probably knew. Not fully sure. Stone Cold, who was absent from this show, which you'll talk about. And I have a bigger talk next episode, but we're going to talk about it a little bit right now. Um, he gets the past of 
the only well, he's, they, London McMahon says the only people ineligible are the winner of the Triple Threat Undisputed Championship match between Jericho, Triple H, and Stephanie, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who, due to his contract, is now presented as a free undraftable. agent. Yeah, undraftable. He could go wherever he wanted to go. Again, there's but here's the thing: there's already holes in the draft theory. No, this in re- regular sports, this is not a thing <laughs> yeah. at all. In regular sports, you can't do this. So again, it's like, you, okay, what's the rules here? And again, these rules meals change because they're in this very draft. You have whole factions going up, and sometimes teams don't. <laughs> it's strange. It's the it's the most bizarre attempt at whatever they were attempting. But it's I'm interested who's writing the show at this time. I mean, I know who's writing the show at this time, but even still, it's like this doesn't make sense to me. But what absolutely doesn't make sense to me is kicking off a show with Mr. Perfect versus Taz. And I think Gewer- I think Gewertz was one of the head writers at that time, by the way. Yeah, Gewertz. Well, I think this was before the time where they split both writing teams. I think they were ad- eventually going to split both writing teams, and Paul Heyman was writing under Brian Gewertz at the time. Or Vince McMahon or whatever that. Maybe they're at the same level, something along those lines. But they're splitting the writing team, Brian Gewertz, and a lot of them staying on Monday Night Raw. Paul Heyman and a bunch of them going to Friday night, not Friday night SmackDown, Thursday night SmackDown or wherever the hell it is at this point. Um, and it'll be a tale of two shows, to be honest with you, because the Raw, you're going through like Raw is like Bradshaw, really? Um, <laughs> the dancing Bubba Ray, okay. Um, Mr. Perfect versus <laughs> Mr. Perfect versus Taz kicks off the show. I'm wondering how Taz is still wrestling right now, considering his neck is already, he already had neck problems at the beginning of 2002. He would essentially retire before, essentially with the draft comes his retirement. Yeah. He's not going to stick around as a main part of the roster long or even long after that. I don't even think he wrestles a match after this, to be honest with you, but he beats Mr. Perfect. It was also like returning to this at this time and his stint um, but WWE at this time would not be long due to the plane ride from hell, which we'll also <laughs> talk about the next episode. Yeah, Damn. next episode is going to be controversial. Um, <sighs> okay, this is the first clean slate draft, and I say this is the most notable draft because this is a legitimately the most legitimate WWE draft where there is no. But before we move on, did Mister Perfectly wash to you? You know what? I didn't have much reference at the time from Mr. Perfect. I didn't watch WWF when he was part of it. Mm-hmm. And when I was in WCW, like, I remember him. I mostly remember him from, like, clips they would show on TV. He didn't really look washed, though. Like, in terms of, like, mid-40-year-olds continue to do the thing, I'm like, ah, oh, he's... Mm-hmm. He's, like, I think he looks, I guess, pastiche for the era in this post-attitude era thing where you're still coming out looking like a early 90s late 80s guy um gotta admit it's not a good look to squash him (laughs) i mean what were we doing with mr perfect what (laughs) What are you doing with taz his neck is a gummy bear at that point (laughs) yeah i'm not sure why they did mr perfect this might have been a send-off match he might have known like listen you're gonna be the voice of smackdown baby (laughs) um so we get the first pick of the draft Vince McMahon comes out. First pick of the draft is none other than The Rock. Ooh, brother. And listen, 
is there any such thing as uh, restraint <laughs> within the, these promos? I'll say this episode felt more like an episode of SNL than a wrestling show. I think I laughed through most of it. Like this was not, this was not you know much of anything in terms of like if you're looking for actual work rate, this was not the episode for you. No, the no, no, or, or, are you going to play it or? or? No, 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 no. I'm definitely not going to play it. They're going to flag the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Rock, Rock comes out. He doesn't say anything. Miss McMahon goes on a long tirade about, uh, you know, things that The Rock cannot do on SmackDown. One of the funniest lines to me is that when he says, you can't say it doesn't matter anymore. And he says, you know why? Because it does matter. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, that was a good one. And then, you know, The Rock breaks out into his his whole thing. Um, does the the catchphrases, of course, and he tries to get a chant over meals that it I don't think over. huh? It does get over. It gets, but it, it, they try it again later on that night. It do, it does not really work because they don't have what what we call in in in, in uh, African Americans uh, vocabulary as they don't have rhythm, and so they can't get this chant off the second and third time Vince comes out. You are an asshole. Which would never fly on TV at this point. They no. Just watched SmackDown last night and they blurred out. <laughs> Holy shit. Fox don't play that shit at all. They don't play that shit whatsoever. Um, but he gets over and he's essentially the rock is like, listen, if this is my last time on Monday Night Raw, I'm going to leave with a bang. He talks about the moments he had on Monday Night Raw. Um, you know, uh, it's. I, I forgot. It's like winning tag team championships with McFoley and blah, blah, blah. He says, you know what another memory is on Raw? Me shoving your head up Rikishi's ass, which definitely happened on SmackDown. And that is and that is something that makes Vince really mad throughout the show is talking about his his ass being in Rikishi's or his face being in Rikishi's cheeks. Listen, it was the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club and he got what was coming to him. <laughs> um, we go to a commercial break. Ric Flair comes back. He makes his number. That was 20 minutes. That was a 20 minute promo. This, this is the rock show. <laughs> well, it's gonna be the rock show at some point. Ric Flair comes out, makes his number one pick. It's The Undertaker. This is the birth of the legendary meme. Undertaker throws a chair, kicks a door, and disappears into the abyss. Legitimately walks into a dark room. I was like, where did he go? Um Vince McMahon is mad as hell, and Kurt Angle comes in because you need a you need a guy. When you're doing drafts, you can't do it by yourself. You need someone to bounce ideas off of. You need someone. You saw Ric Flair had his war room with Arn Anderson. And I'm like, Arn Anderson, really? Like, of all the people, the guy who gets pissed on, like, two months later? Um, and Kurt Angle becomes that guy for Vince McMahon. After electing, I was like, why wasn't he the number one pick? And I was like, Kurt, he's, I'm doing this. Um None of these matches right home about, so I'm not even going to get into this, but Edge and DDP versus Christian and Booker D. Whatever. Uh, not much to say outside of we were in hell is what I have in the notes. <laughs> Booker T hits a scissors kick on DDP and wins. Um, uh, Two-minute match, by the way. Absolutely. Vince McMahon, who's in the back. You had a big, you pointed this out. He's in the back and he picks Kurt Angle for his number two pick. Yeah, yeah because here's the thing. You're not I, supposed to acknowledge the camera, but then he's talking to Kurt. Then he turns to the camera. Yeah. And says, it's my number two. So it's like a very, it's very something that WWE doesn't do, which is why it was so weird to me. It's reality breaking. It's, it's, it's like when, when they are talking to us, 
is on the stage. When they're backstage, we're not backstage with them. Right. You know what I'm saying? That is a scene. Also, why are you announcing draft picks backstage? Come out and announce it. Because at that point, what if the crowd didn't hear you? You know what I'm saying? What if somebody in the crowd didn't hear you? It, it was just a really odd placement of having these skits that looked as though meals that they were recorded earlier in that day. I mean, might could have definitely been. Um, Ric Flair has his number two pick, and he picks the NWO. All three of them. Stupid pick. Stupid pick. Stupid pick. <laughs> they don't even explain it well. So the draft to me is already down downhill. Flair's explanation for this, I know this is later on the show, but Flair's explanation for this is, uh, you know, Vince brought you guys to be the poison, but I don't want, he shouldn't be the guy that's controlling you guys, so you work for me now. And they're just kind of like, uh, okay. Flair's entire GM run was pretty bad, just in general. I don't think, he's not a good authority figure. And I think at this time, you could really tell from who Ric Flair is and who he is now in 2022 and who he was for probably the last like 10 years to where he is then, he was like very toned down, tepid. Um, it didn't fit with him. It could have, I think it could have been a great thing, but I don't know. I just, I think his attitude towards it didn't really seem that, he didn't really seem like he was really into the role. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, he picks the NWO. And probably like, one, probably one drunk. <laughs> Vince McMahon is like, God damn it. I was gonna pick the NWO. It's like, of course, you was gonna pick everybody. Um but but interesting there, they picked the whole they picked the whole faction. The whole faction. All three. Scott Hall included. <laughs> I mean, God Scott Hall, but oh, good lord. Like I was looking at this time, I was like, he didn't even look. They would be a they I don't yeah, or you we're gonna talk about the next episode, but they do not last long at all anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Um so we get back backstage. Vince McMahon, I was gonna pick the NWO, damn it. Um and then Kurt Angle's like, Hey, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy who's gonna be back pretty soon. I just saw him last week. I was like, All right, Kurt, you're having chats with Chris Benoit. Um but <laughs> in his ear, he's like with the number three pick for SmackDown. I picked Chris Benoit. And it's like, we haven't seen Chris Benoit in a year. I guess it's 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 good for like, okay, Chris Benoit's coming back. You at least make that known. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't even see him back. The thing is, it's like, we're going to talk about how this draft shakes down because nothing lasts. But Chris Benoit's first appearance coming back is on Raw. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's drafted to Raw. He's either traded to Raw and then he's traded back to SmackDown. And then he eventually goes back to Raw in 2004 when he wins the Royal Rumble. So it's like, uh, NWO says, we don't listen to you guys. We listen to Vince. <laughs> <laughs> then, then he grabs him and then like X-Pac does this weird thing where he looks at his hand and he's like this. And I'm just like, you are, you are acting, my brother. Like, you need to relax. <laughs> Ric Flair says, well, I guess I'm going to pick a guy who you guys are going to know very well. Kane. And then I said, I said, whoa, Kane, Undertaker, Nash, Hall, got to watch Raw. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Next matchup is Trish Stratus versus Ivory. Skipped it. (laughs) Competitive match, Jerry Lawler, Horny, Stratus faction for the win is what I have in my notes. Um, Vince McMahon comes out for his number four pick. So I'm going to pick. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. 
whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Um, But SmackDown itself, at this point, they got The Rock. They got Kurt Angle. They got Chris Benoit. They got Hulk Hogan. Lopsided. And and we don't even know, Emils, we don't even know where Stone Cold's going. No, not at all. If I'm Stone Cold, I'm like, wait. So granted, he can still go. On Raw, he's got a lot of matchups that we don't want to see. On SmackDown, he's got a lot of matchups that we've seen before. So that's going to play into his decisions in a couple weeks from now. Hey, man. It's all downhill from here for him. (laughs) (laughs) As quiet as it's kept, according to how Meltzer writes it, Stone Cold walked out of Raw at some point. Mm -hmm. When you guys got to figure it out, Wait for Rough Riders outside. When you guys got it all figured out, you guys let me know. And that's essentially what they did. Um, Vince McMahon, I mean, Ric Flair, you know, bounces with his number four pick and picks the. Stop. (laughs) Drop. Picks the Intercontinental Champion, Rob Van Dam. Which Vince McMahon retorts. Damn it, I wanted the Intercontinental Champion. <laughs> <laughs> but my thing was this, is that Vince was making good picks. It was clear that there was somebody in, in, who had stroke in the locker room that was, or in creative, that was like making these picks for SmackDown because they were trying to, of course, that's the, at that point, it was the bigger show. They were getting, probably yeah. getting the bigger bag from, uh, you know, from, it was show. yeah, it, it was, it was the bigger show. But if you wanted RVD, why didn't you just pick RVD, Vince? It doesn't make any sense why you're mad. <laughs> You picked Hulk Hogan. Yeah, you picked um, Hogan over him. So what, what are you talking about? Uh, Vince McMahon wants to enter. He's like, I wanted the Intercontinental Championship. Damn it. But Kurt comes up with a great idea. He's like, uh, hello, <laughs> Kurt here. Why don't you just put me in a match for the Intercontinental Championship and I'll bring it over to SmackDown? And I was like, you know what? That's some great thinking. Like, some outside- yeah, I was like, that's some outside of the box thinking that no one is really doing on this show, to be honest with you. Um, and then he drafts Billy and Chuck because he wants the tag team championships. Uh, but they, they, would, they would lose tech, him like right after too. I think they lose him. No, they lose him in July. Okay, months after they lose him to Hulk Hogan and Edge. Okay. Um, got another matchup: two on three handicap matches, which is the only thing the NWO competes in. <laughs> Scott Hall, X-Pac, and Kevin Nash versus The Rock and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. NWO wins by DQ because Kane comes out and interferes. There's not much to this match. There's not much to anything on this show. Match-wise, I can skip the rest, to be honest with you. like It goes from like 60 miles an hour to about 20 when, when uh, Nash gets in the ring. And- Keep going with the actual match itself. And uh, I, I believe X Pac was the light heavyweight champion at that point. Doesn't come out with the belt. Uh, nah, they 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 chopped that. They was like yeah, whatever. It they was retired. It was gone immediately. They win by D. They lose by DQ. And then Hulk's like, "I'm like, you know the rules, bro." <laughs> Put up everybody else's hands. I was yeah, like, like, you lost. Also, five five minutes and about five seconds for that match. By the way, wow. I, ca- I think I counted about 15 minutes of actual wrestling on the show. Not here for a good long time. Just a good time, huh? Um, Vince McMahon barges into Ric Flair's office and he's like, you stole The Undertaker and NWO from me. 
So for number five, just to stick it to him, he's like, I'm picking Booker T. There's got to be a rib at number five. Um, <laughs> and for the number six pick for Vince, he's like, well, then I'm going to pick the guy who beat him at WrestleMania. I'm going to pick Edge. And then Ric Flair was like, well, if you're going to pick Edge, then I'm going to pick the big show. And then <laughs> we're just slamming through these picks. And then Vince McMahon is like, well, if you're going to pick a big man, I'm going to pick the big man, Rakishi. His face, he just had his ass. <laughs> it makes no sense. Also, why did Flair take the big show? Your your show has Big Show, Nash, Undertaker, Kane, and, and Scott Hall in the same show, all six to seven foot guys. What type of matches are you having on this show? What is your strategy here, brother? He has no strategy. They're playing a game of uh, pick me between just the one up one another on this thing. It, it makes no fucking sense. And then just also, just when we look at the draft and how it lays out after this, it just doesn't make sense. Um, Jeff Hardy defeats Billy from Billy and Chuck. I have cool jackets. Um, <laughs> you good to me. This is still like the infancy of Billy and Chuck wouldn't become Billy and Chuck until Paul Heyman starts writing them on SmackDown. <laughs> He's like, y'all mind if I wall out? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I think he has a hand in writing this damn maximum male model shit got to um i have jeff hardy's just cool as hell at this point um lita goes for alita karana misses but rico still catches her anyway because rico's a pro rico's like 30 something 40 damn near 40 years old at this point about 40 years old at that point bro yeah, yeah, she misses it i don't know how like her and both her legs land on rico's like shoulder she has she has what I say with uh she has what I say like uh shots he has too like like she has like cement in her ass when she moves like she had a lot of unnecessary weight <laughs> that made her move really slow like it, it, just, it was just weird watching her move and I was like how do we ever think that she was like this crazy high flyer because she was cool <laughs> I don't know she was the only one doing it I wouldn't trust anybody else to be honest I ain't trusting you. I didn't trust Lita herself, but I definitely wasn't going to trust anybody else doing any high-flying shit. <laughs> you. Um, I was trying to find the on the internet. WWE puts out this We Was There promo to promote their live events. <laughs> we were there. Montreal Screwjob. You know, Invasion. Something. We were there. Um, so, you know, they're trying to promote live events. It's still WWF at the time. I'm saying a whole bunch of WWE stuff, but it's it's clear it's still WWF for at least a month. Yeah. Um, Ric Flair is looking for the most dominant team in WWE history, so he picks Bubba Ray Dudley. Not both of them. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> he might have been drinking, bro. So Vince McMahon is like, "Oh, you're gonna pick Bubba Ray Dudley? I'm gonna pick." Devon Dudley. And I'm like, why would you waste a pick on Devon Dudley? <laughs> we break them up. There is a, about a two minute sequence of them getting saying, and then they hug and then they go their separate ways. And Bruce Pritchard was, I believe the architect behind this. And he says on his, um, on his podcast uh, during the uh, something to wrestle, the 2002 draft episode, he said, I thought both, were, would prosper as singles. I thought Devon and the tag team relied on Bubba, but Devon cut some good promos, so I was under the belief that they'd be better on their own. Obviously, it didn't work. Duh. 
<laughs> but without that, but without that, like you can't, you don't get Batista. You know, there was no like the thing with Dully Boys is there's no Sean and Marty. Yeah, <laughs> there's they're legitimately like a te- they're the sum of parts is the same or whatever the fuck it is. I like, argue, I argue with that because but Bully Ray and 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 Impact and TNA was actually a, a legitimate singles guy, right? But I think at that time, so I'm gonna go at that time. Like, you look at Edge and Christian. People are enamored with Edge. You definitely want to go with Edge. And at this point, they're breaking up all the tag teams. They've already broken up the Hardys before and then put them back together. So they're really trying to break up all the tag teams at this point. And and the Hardys eventually do break up, like, literally maybe like a month after this. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt ends up just jumping to SmackDown after he turns on Jeff. Jeff has that classic ladder match with The Undertaker, and it's mm-hmm. just forever. Um but yeah, I mean, they was to break up this tag team and use two picks on them. I was like, well, I guess. I mean, they just wanted to. I don't know, whatever. It, it it screamed creative interference. It really did. Like it screamed that, like, okay, we're gonna make this decision right now, and we're gonna try and do something with both of them. They would do. They would do nothing with with either of them <laughs> in the end. No. Uh, whole thing it, it was a terrible breakup i think this was the real tra- travesty of this draft i think when you think about the first draft this is the moment right this is the moment where it's like what the fuck are they doing you broke this up the Dudley boys um rikishi versus william regal ends in a no contest because rikishi comes out <laughs> and brock lesnar pulls up and absolutely destroys rikishi mm-hmm. in the awesome way if i'm 12 years old which i am at this point I was like, "Holy fuck!" Mm-hmm. Pick he picks up Rikishi. This is this is the start of the Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns feud. By the way, this is the start. The impetus of it all. Brock Lesnar shows up. He just pretty much like mashes him down to the mat, then picks him up again, hits him with the F five. Great sell by Rikishi with the convulsing. You know, got to convulse. <laughs> they made the F five look like it was like a sniper shot. Like it looked crazy yeah. back in the day. They, I know they took. We're gonna get into a. This is a preview for a thing. We're gonna get into SmackDown. Shut your mouth at some point during this. Uh, <laughs> during this run, um, <laughs> but the F five was the sell for SmackDown. Shut your mouth. It was like finally you can do the F five, um, and just Brock Lesnar himself in general. Um, Vince McMahon comes out immediately after this match. <laughs> you just had the pick before with picking Devon Dudley. He was like, with my pick, I'm going to pick Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so Rick Flair, comes, Rick Flair comes out and it's like, it's not your pick. Vince <laughs> <laughs> says, nah, you can have two. <laughs> See, now you can have two. <laughs> and Rick Flair is like, it's not your pick. I'm picking Brock Lesnar. So, Vince McMahon retorts in the most, you know, I got to have Rhino moment of the show. (laughs) You know, I got to pick Rhino. He picks Mark Henry. But we hadn't seen Mark Henry in since 2000. About, About two years, right? Yeah, he'd been injured. How did you feel about Mark Henry's look at this time? The fake braids. That boy <laughs> had instant locks in. 
This is he was a he was before his time. <laughs> yeah, you had the Jimmy Butlers in. I hate that. You gotta have like, listen, man. Stop avoiding the ugly phase, man. You see oh, all of this? Oh my god! I you see all this. This took this took time, bro. And you appreciate it more. You don't you feel like a whore by getting in instant locks? <laughs> Come on, uh, man. Hold on. I got I got I got the picture up. Oh my god. Okay. Look at that. I was like, wait a minute, how did Mark Henry grow all this hair this soon? <laughs> <laughs> bro, look I'm, at it. Look at it. Look at that I, shit. This scalp hurting. Gotta be Man. You gotta have him on the show and talk about this. His hairline start right here. <laughs> <laughs> you got the you got the Stevie Wonder. You look like Stevie Wonder right now. Shit. <laughs> oh God. Okay. All right. So boom, he picks Mark Henry. Whoop! You fucking do. Ric Flair retorts but the European heavyweight champion of the world. I was like, you added a whole bunch of syllables to that fucking belt, my man. It is a European title. That's it. <laughs> he picks William Regal. William Regal is shook. He's like, I, I, I wanted to go with Vince. Um, Vince McMahon ends the his draft picking the hardcore champion, Maven. Now, this is like a number 30 for pick, <laughs> by the way. He is brand spanking fucking new. Like, firmly second round draft pick is Maven. If this was the NBA, is this was this how the Knicks would draft? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, Knicks have drafted pretty well over the last number of years, so I'll give you that. Knicks have drafted. This is why Utah wanted all of our fucking picks, by the way. <laughs> all of our all of our sauce. Is this how the Knicks would have drafted in 2002 Mills? This is this is very Dolan-esque. No. I'm not gonna say that. This okay. is how the Sacramento Kings would have picked. Okay. Um, no, I'm lying, because they would have had an OD high draft pick. Uh Vince McMahon ends his draft with Maven because he has a hardcore championship, nothing more, nothing less, even though the hardcore championship is 24-7. And he literally loses it on the next episode of SmackDown, so it goes yep. wrong. Yep, and so <laughs> as if it couldn't, he couldn't lose it in the Wednesday before he actually gets to the show. <laughs> Ric Flair picks his first final pick. He picks Lita. This gets the loudest, this moment gets the loudest scream out of me. Because Vince McMahon says, look at him. He spent his last pick, and he picked a woman. <laughs> yeah, because and, and, I said, and I said, yeah, because SmackDown has a great women's division. SmackDown, they ain't picked no fucking women. Lita. Now, mind, now, mind you, Linda says at the beginning of the show, I think we forgot to say this, is that after the show, they do like a supplemental draft where they would they would name more names that they didn't actually announce on the show. So. Let's find out who was drafted to the show. I mean, everyone was drafted into the supplemental draft. So after Lita, um, to Raw goes Bradshaw. Yeah. Even Richards, which is Stevie Night Heat. Um, <laughs> legitimately, they picked him to supplement Sunday Night Heat. Matt Hardy to join. Oh, I guess they didn't pick Jeff Hardy yet. Matt no. Hardy, Raven, Jeff Hardy, Mr. Perfect, Spike Dudley. D'Lo Brown, who knew? Um, <laughs> Had no theme at that point. Yeah, yeah. Sean Stasiak, 
Terry, Jacqueline, Goldust, Molly Holly. I'm just incredible. <laughs> Big Boss Man. Tommy Dreamer, who kind of had he had a little bit of an early run on Raw. He was the I put shit in my mouth and eat them kind of thing. Um, Crash Holly, rest in peace. And the last pick for Monday Night Raw, Trish Stratus. Disgusting. Where's your women's division? It was Trish versus Terry. <laughs> Trish, Terry, Lita, Jacqueline, Molly Holly. Unserious. That was a uh, terrible yeah, show. But even, but, but even more unserious for the women's division for SmackDown. Um, but after Maven, you have Billy Kidman, Ty Giri, Chris Jericho, who had just lost the undisputed title, um, Ivory, who I never saw on SmackDown, <laughs> Albert, I guess he returned to SmackDown. He returned. He eventually gets the repackage for A-Train. No, he becomes the hip hop hippo. He does, you know. Yeah, he is the he is the he is the hip hop hippo. The hurricane, who had a run, um, Al Snow. Just becomes a trainer, tough enough guy. And that's not even to to say of like a lot of the people we're naming right now would switch with switch shows, but then oh. like the next six months, absolutely. Um, Landstorm, Diamond Dallas Page. Perry Saturn, who legitimately we don't even see after it. I can't remember a Perry Saturn match happened in 2002. Neither. Scotty Tuhati, Stacy Keebler, Christian. Christian! <laughs> Test, Varouk, Taz, Hardcore Holly, the big Val Bolsky. He's being repackaged from Val Venus to big Val Bolsky. To an and even worse point. name, to an even more porny name than that. <laughs> and then the final pick is Tori, um, Tori Wilson. So, you know, neither shows, nothing to shake a stick at. Well, actually, you know what? SmackDown is pretty SmackDown better. SmackDown is better because Brock goes to SmackDown like within like what the next four months? He, yeah, essentially. So he shows up on, he pretty much is on Raw throughout the summer. Then he goes to SmackDown. Um, it's rock, he right? also appears on SmackDown various times too, like leading up to SummerSlam. Like yeah. it's just, it's just whatever. He could do it out of nowhere. He wants Rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, not. It's because he won the King of the Ring, so the winner oh, of the King yeah. of the Ring gets the championship. Yeah, um, yeah. But he ain't have to beat up Hulk Hogan and go on all those shows. Um, Are we gonna talk about that in the show? Like that was to me one of the one of the first. Um, really disturbed, like really like not disturbing, but really shocking moments in that year. So I have it. I had it on the docket. It was between that show and the Billy and Chuck wedding. <laughs> wedding. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. But it's going to be. We're going to talk about it on the lead up to the SummerSlam 2002 episode. It'll be featured in it for sure. Um. Oh yeah, there's more matches on the show. Rob Van Dam beats Kurt Angle. Is <laughs> it one more match or two more matches via disqualification to retain the IC Championship because Edge interferes and Spears Kurt? Three minutes. Three minutes. Triple Threat main event. How did we get here? <laughs> this is this is all I have in the notes. How did we get here? I was like, what was Jericho's purpose at this point? This was how many weeks removed from Mania Two? Two weeks removed. This is. Little a little over a week. 
Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, bro, you lost. That's it. I think they wanted to write Stephanie off um, kind of semi-permanently here. And the match didn't really get a, a pop at Mania. Didn't really get one here. It's, to me, it seemed like people were were like after Triple H returned, they were pretty much over his babyface turn almost immediately. He shows up, undisputed champion, has this triple threat match with Chris Jericho and Stephanie Van. All the hijinks you'd imagine. Triple H and Jericho hit each other with self with the belt, and Stephanie almost pins them both. Um, eventually, Triple H hits Chris Jericho with the pedigree. Then he grabs Stephanie. Hits her with a spine buster, pins her, and because he spent because he pinned Stephanie, Stephanie is now has to leave the WWE, and they hit the whole nana nanas and the hey hey hey's and all this other good stuff. Stephanie McMahon is banished from the WWE legitimately for two months. <laughs> <laughs> literally, she's back in like two months. Um, <laughs> the show, the actually, I think, um, God. Do we is the next one? All right, you know what? I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save all the juice because there's we definitely talking about a show, the next show, um, but we're talking about a whole bunch of other mess as well. Um, so that's that. Triple H can appear on both shows because he's undisputed champion, so he's doing his entire thing. But I don't think he he shows up on Raw maybe once, but his match at Backlash is against Hulk Hogan, so he's mostly on SmackDown. So Raw doesn't really have a world champion featured heavily on the show. What was the what was the major? Well, I guess you'll talk about that. But like, what was the major main event angle? It was Vince and, and, and Stone Cold at that point, or, or Flair, and, Flair and Stone Cold. It was Flair and Stone Cold. Essentially, yeah. Stone Cold didn't give a fuck about Ric Flair, and yeah. <laughs> they were both faces. But he was just like, I don't listen to you, you piece yeah. of shit. Yeah. And Ric Flair is a turning heel. Yeah, because of Stone Cold, and it, it becomes like a uh, it become co GMs, I, I believe, towards the summer. No, no. Mm-mm, no, it's not this year. No, that's you're confusing the Eric Bischoff shit. Oh fuck, I am. I am. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, loses his job entirely. Yeah, make sure that we're talking about. He loses his job for reasons unexplained. Literally, NWO Stone Cold leaves. NWO gets thing. Vince McMahon comes out and is like, "Yeah, we're doing this entire shit over." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that shit. Next yeah, show, actually. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um. Let's go to the Wrestling Observer newsletter before we get out of here. Um, WWE finally took the plunge and went through with the long-rumored brand split this week, all while Steve Austin was sitting at home. Austin walked out after WrestleMania and didn't appear on TV for the week after the draft. He was expected to be the number one pick for Raw, so they changed the angle and explained that he couldn't be drafted to due to the contract situation. Austin still has a year left on his WWF deal, so he can't go anywhere. But he's hurting for money, so he can sit it. But oh, he isn't hurting for money. I'm sorry, he isn't hurting for money, so he can sit home and just be fine. Austin's issues date back a couple months ago. He was vocally unhappy about working at Scott Hall and the NWO in general. Morale in the company has sank since those guys came in, got main event spots, and started getting everything they wanted creatively and professionally. Which I don't believe. I don't uh, think. I don't think so either. How could you want whatever happened to them creatively? Yeah, look at. I mean, creatively, if if that was the case, not the other guys. Yeah, like creatively, if that was the case, they would have had, all had titles. Absolutely, and Hogan is the only one who gets a title. Um, some in the locker room see Austin's walkout as in protest in the state of the, the company with an unhappy locker room that no longer has any leverage since all the other companies are dead, 
And Austin is the one guy with enough fuck you clout that he can stand up to Vince. Most of the wrestlers are said to be on his side, though the NWO guys and Triple H obviously don't feel the same, but it goes back further than that. Austin was telling people six months ago that he would go home if the job stopped being fun. We'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um let's see. He talks about the rosters of the show. Tag teams like the Dudleys and APA were split up. I didn't even realize APA was split up. Um do, do, do. He says as for the he says he doesn't see the logic in splitting the Dudley boys. He says the APA is fine since Veruk career is winding down anyway, and they mm-hmm. didn't talk about pushing Bradshaw as a single star for over a year. Um, Veruk was the oldest guy on the roster at the time. I remember that fact specifically. I think he was like 45. Jesus Christ. Actively. So he was the oldest guy on the roster by quite a bit. Um do, do, do. Raw's missing his top draw, and it's pretty weak overall. Lumbering giants like Undertaker, Kevin Nash, and Big Show will end up on Raw. <laughs> I said the same thing. I was like, your show has a, a, a lot of great matches coming out of the brand. <laughs> exactly. It was your your roster is a bunch of seven foot tall guys. What where your where's actually like where's your work rate at? Where your where's your spectacle at? He says, much like Raw, SmackDown might be in danger of not having a strong top draw either. Rock is expected to be gone for much of the summer to film another movie, which he does. And he's continuing to get more and more movie offers, which he does, which means more <laughs> time away from wrestling. And Hogan can't be a long-term weekly draw anymore, which he does, um, no matter how much nostalgia popularity he has. He did means, it. Yeah, he absolutely did. Um, which means that it's vital they finally commit to pushing Angle, Jericho, and Benoit as real top stars, which they don't. Which they don't. <laughs> they, do, they do not do. <laughs> They don't do that until like everyone is gone. Like every like the only person left is Triple H. <laughs> yeah, like Jericho don't even really get that sustained run until he that nigga has to like leave and come back in order to get that. Antonio Inoki announced that he's bringing China in to the New Japan 30th anniversary show at the Tokyo Dome in May. Did you see this? No, never seen it. Um, maybe I don't know. Spot callers. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sell Cyrus on that, and and see if you don't if you don't hang the phone up on your ass. Um, New Japan's latest show in Tokyo did a disappointing attendance number. I'm not sure what New Japan's thing was in 2002. God bless them. Um, it's just the same as their shit in 2022. They're dry as fuck. Dry, crusty promotion. Jerry Jarrett's new promotion is expected to start in June. Yes, sir. <laughs> there continue to be rumors that Vince Russo will be ghostwriting the show. And he was. <laughs> <laughs> I love rumors. So could you could you could you imagine the impact chronicles? <laughs> if we did something like so who, some I hope someone well handles that. We could I mean I don't know much about it. I don't I know where we would I don't know where we would even find the shows at. I'm not even gonna capture you again. Where yeah. we begin? Weekly pay-per-views? Because I remember discovering when I had when I had the black box, I remember discovering NWA TNA uh-huh. pay-per-view on a Wednesday night. I was like, what the fuck is this is where all the guys went? That's my only thing of it. Um buckle up everybody, it's business analysis time. It says WWF is still stronger than any promotion in wrestling history, but they've still seen some declines. 2001 live attendance was down over 20% of the year prior. 
But even with the increased ticket prices, gate revenues was down 12%, sales were down 53%. And even though WrestleMania 17 and the Invasion show did huge numbers, 2001 pay-per-view buy rates were still down 20% from the year before, although some of that decline can be attributed to DirecTV's conflict in the final months of the year. Raw ratings are down 21%. Dave weirdly doesn't mention SmackDown ratings, but they were also down 16%. Uh, needless to say, 2001 was a tough year for the WWF, but they're still riding the momentum of the Attitude Era, and even though numbers are significantly down from a year ago, they're still in strong shape. So... I mean, the trend would continue downwards. Like, it's not getting better. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't. <clears throat> we never get those numbers ever again. But when you look at in, in context of, like, what they're doing right now in terms of looking for outside deals, they are taking kind of, like, the NFL, NBA model and, like, expanding it to a sport that's largely cre- created and, and, and predetermined. They make more money now than they've ever made before. Absolutely. Every quarter. And even for inflation, it's still a lot more money than they made back then. It's insane how much they've grown from what you could consider at this point all the way up to shit meals. Like the 2010s is a dark period for wrestling. So we have pay cuts. (laughs) (laughs) Dave talks about how the loss of WCW completely destroyed all negotiating leverage for wrestlers in the United States and how dire the industry is for workers. He says, now you're pretty much forced to accept whatever Vince McMahon wants to pay you or, hey, fuck off and go find a new career if you don't Mm -hmm. like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Up until 1996, WWF offered very minimal guarantees. Um, Of course, with gate money and other streams of revenue, most guys made plenty depending on their position on the card. Um, There are all these exceptions, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to find the thing. Um, Okay. WWE pulls in double the money that most pro sports franchises do annually. In many cases, draw better TV ratings, large crowds, sell more merch, and do bigger pay-per-view numbers than any of those sport franchises. And yet, Rock and Austin aren't even making a fraction of the money like guys like Michael Jordan, Mario Lamo, Randy Johnson, Lennox Lewis, and Alex Rodriguez. That's a, that's a stupid comparison, even at that point. Think about yeah, because they still don't even make close right now. <laughs> yeah, think like, the, but they still, but even comparatively to what they make, just the way, just the way it works now, with merch deals, outside deals that they might get, they make a little, they make over that, and the and the way that I think their merch breaks down, depending on who, who you are. Like I'm pretty sure Roman gets a good, a pretty penny off of his merch every single right. month or something like that. But like Michael Jordan has Gatorade, Nike, NBA has buy-in from so many different countries, so many mm-hmm. different. Like Nike buys into NBA. They have owners. WWE was at that point still pretty much a one-person entity. It was Vince McMahon, and that's it. Could they make that much? I think they could, and I think they would deserve it. Should Roman Reigns be the first guy in wrestling to make $20 million a year? Absolutely. But I think that he makes a really a pretty penny for, for what he does right now. Absolutely. Um, let me see. I'm trying to find any more. There's an old WCW racial discrimination lawsuit. I'm not sure. Dave, if you want to Dave is so that. stupid. Dave is so dumb. I don't even. Why was he saying that in 2002? Think about think about NBA's TV deals. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, notes from the latest Ring of Honor show. Hmm. Despite all the rave reviews of their debut show, attendance was down for this one. No shit. <laughs> um. 
the show was built around Christopher Daniels, Loki, and American Dragon, Brian Danielson, all working separate matches against each other. All those matches ended in submission with them trying to get that style over. Brian Danielson versus Loki in the main event was reported to be a to Dave as a possible five star match, but he hasn't seen it yet. I'm not even sure. <laughs> Um, Ken Shamrock was the referee for it. Huh. Didn't know that. Ken Shamrock and Ring of Honor? Okay. Always found his way back. A lot of guys ended up there, man. Sure. Yes. So once again, Ring of Honor is getting rave reviews for putting on another excellent indie show. A wrestler named Chris Marvell suffered a broken ankle that is said to be as bad as a Sid Vicious injury. Um, okay. Got flashes of that. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Da da da. Okay, XWF, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, we'll talk about the Austin stuff. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about all this stuff. We still got time. We still got time. There's the, there's the, there's the, there's the everything, everyone's dead except WWE. So that's, that's pretty much the whole thing. <laughs> there's Ray Mysterio stuff. There's um, several wrestlers who have tryouts have been, this is the last bit of news, I'll say, because it leads into, but we'll talk about in the future. Several of the wrestlers who had tryouts recently have been offered contracts. David, Dave isn't 100%, but he thinks that Matt Stryker, which I don't think it was, Ray Steele, Chad Coyier, Rene Dupree, Kevin Fertig, Doug Basham, and AJ Styles were offered WWE contracts. These contracts were said to only be 500 per week. Dave expects most of them to take it because it's WWF and a steady paycheck. But AJ Styles is said to be leaning against it, actually, because he knows he can make more money as a major star for one of the new startups, you know, da 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 Impact. Uh, pretty much. Plus, you would have to move to Cincinnati, and that's not much money to uproot your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, said, and then there's a note that says, I think Styles has said it in years since that his wife would have to give up her job to move there, and the WWF offer wasn't enough money to make it worth it, so he turned it down. So... We're getting some new stars. They're in the tank. You see some familiar names. Rene Dupree, he would not debut for two years. Two years? Maybe. When does the... Yeah, no, no, no. A year. A year. You're right. Um, Kevin Fertig, who would be an OVW staple until he becomes Mordecai. Yeah. Mordecai and then Kevin Thorne. Yeah. Um, And then Doug Basham who had a rousing OVW career and did not live up to any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Doug Basham, a Cornette favorite. Cornette loves Doug Basham and see what they did to his boy. That's probably why he he left the business. Twins. We'll make them both twins and shave them (laughs) there. Put them with a black woman. Um, Nonetheless, that is the first episode of the Draft Diaries. It is a super full action-packed episode he talked a lot about Jay-Z, <laughs> talked a lot about the draft. I think they go hand in hand somehow. Um, well, they do because the draft is is literally the same way Jay-Z had a reaction to people not liking, <laughs> you know, his diss songs. Vince had a very, very big reaction to people not liking the invasion. And this was what came of it. Okay, hold on. So I want to make sure to pre-face the show. Okay, let's see. No, no, no. I would I need something with actual words. So next episode, the high focus will be around the Stone Cold Truth and Stone Cold Steve Austin's walkout and the fall of the NWO. 
Um, and this would be the last time you ever see the NWL in any type of anything ever until WrestleMania 31. Yeah. 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 Um, and then after this, we're going to, I believe we're going to cover the show. No, but... I'm, I'm cap because Shawn Michaels joins. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shawn Michaels joins, Booker T's joins, Big Show yeah. joins. I'm cap. It's 2004, right? When they do that. What? They, the NWO comes back. 2004? Yeah. No, nah, they never come back. 2004, then MWO didn't come back? No, no, no. They never come back, bro. Damn. They never come back. Damn. You're going to BWO, boy. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Um, but with that said, thank you guys for tuning in. Of course, make sure you follow the A Show at the A Show RNC on Twitter. Make sure you continue to subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash the A Show RNC. Follow myself at Meals TV. Follow Justin at OG Johnny5. We will be back next time covering a very big show and continue to plot through these draft diaries. So, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be, we'll be back. Peace.